Welcome. You're listening to Blood Advances Talks. Blood Advances Talks are scholarly review articles that are presented in an audio format and published in the American Society of Hematology's open access journal, Blood Advances. Transcripts for Blood Advances Talks undergo the same rigorous peer review process as all articles published in Blood Advances and can be downloaded by visiting bloodadvances.org. We thank you for listening. My name is Maureen Hoffman. I'm from Duke University and the Durham VA Medical Centers. The title of my talk is Thrombosis and Novel Hemophilia Therapies, The Fine Line Between Clotting and Bleeding. My relevant conflicts of interest are, I received research funding from Novo Nordisk and Takeda, served on an advisory panel and speakers bureau for Sanofi Genzyme, and served on an advisory panel for BPL. The availability of novel non-factor therapeutics is revolutionizing the management of hemophilia in individuals with inhibitory antibodies, as well as making prophylaxis more convenient, even in the absence of inhibitors. Unfortunately, the use of these products has been associated with thrombotic events that are not typically seen with factor replacement. These are primarily seen when a patient on a non-factor therapy experiences breakthrough bleeding and concomitantly receives another hemostatic agent. This talk addresses thrombotic complications in three non-factor products. One, emicizumab, a bispecific antibody that mimics the cofactor activity of factor eight. Two, fetusaran, an siRNA that knocks down synthesis of antithrombin. And three, concizumab, an antibody that blocks inhibition of factor 10A by tissue factor pathway inhibitor. The latter two agents were developed on the premise that hemostasis and hemophilia could be rebalanced by reducing the levels of anticoagulant activity to compensate for the defect in procoagulant activity. Each of these approaches increases peak levels of thrombin achieved in assays on plasma from treated subjects and reduces bleeding rates in individuals with or without inhibitors. However, we do not yet have a good mechanistic model for precisely how these approaches affect hemostasis in vivo. It is not only the total amount of active thrombin produced that determines the effectiveness of hemostasis, but also how thrombin generation is regulated. Therefore, it is currently difficult to predict how these new agents will interact with other perturbations or therapeutic manipulations of the coagulation system. The time-honored treatment for hemophilia has been factor replacement. While the arrival of long-acting factor eight and nine products improved prophylactic therapy, individuals with inhibitors were still treated with bypassing agents and prophylaxis for them remained unsatisfactory. This situation changed with the advent of novel non-replacement therapies. In this talk, I will address three such products. Emicizumab, a bispecific antibody that mimics the action of factor eight in many respects. Fetusaran, an siRNA that knocks down expression of antithrombin, and concizumab, a monoclonal antibody that blocks factor 10A inhibition by tissue factor pathway inhibitor, TFPI. 
Each is effective in reducing bleeding in individuals with and without inhibitors. Unfortunately, each has also been associated with thrombotic events not seen with replacement therapy, specifically when simultaneously administered with another hemostatic agent. In 2017, the FDA approved emicizumab, which dramatically reduces the annualized bleeding rate, ABR, in hemophilia A patients with or without inhibitors. However, during the initial HAVEN-1 trial, a small number of patients developed microangiopathy or thrombosis after administration of repeated high doses, that is more than 100 units per kilogram per day, of FIBA for breakthrough bleeding during emicizumab prophylaxis. Three patients developed a thrombotic microangiopathy, two developed thrombosis, and one of these died. None who only received recombinant factor 7A or lower doses of FIBA experienced thrombosis or microangiopathy. One more episode of microangiopathy was reported during post-marketing surveillance. These adverse events earned emicizumab a black box warning for thromboembolism or thrombotic microangiopathy when an activated prothrombin complex concentrate was administered concomitantly. The situation with emicizumab highlights its differences from factor VIII. Of key importance is the proper localization of the coagulation reactions on cell surfaces. Emicizumab stabilizes the factor 9A factor 10 complex on lipid membranes and thereby facilitates activation of factor 10. In this respect, it is similar to factor 8A. However, factor 8A is localized quite specifically to activated platelets. Furthermore, its activity is of limited duration. Factor 8 must be proteolytically activated and then progressively loses activity over time. By contrast, emicizumab does not need to be activated and does not lose activity over time. Emicizumab appears to facilitate factor 10 activation by binding to preformed complexes of factor 9A and factor 10. Its localization is determined by the location of factor 9A and factor 10 binding and is not highly specific to activated platelets. The occurrence of thrombotic microangiopathy in the presence of emicizumab and FIBA suggests that coagulation reactions are improperly localized to endothelial cells. This allows unregulated thrombin generation in the microvasculature. The role of high doses of FIBA in producing these events has not been well characterized. However, FIBA contains measurable levels of factor 9A, which can remain active in plasma for over two hours, and for which endothelial cells possess binding sites. FIBA also contains significant amounts of factor 10 and prothrombin. These components could contribute to binding of factor 9A and factor 10 on endothelial cells leading to factor 10 activation in the presence of emicizumab. Injured or inflamed endothelial cells could then support thrombin generation in the microvasculature. Elucidation of the details of this process will undoubtedly add to our understanding of the role of factor eight in regulating and localizing hemostasis. By contrast, 
The efficacy of fitusaran and concizumab highlights the importance of protease inhibitors in regulating coagulation. The idea behind reducing the activity of antithrombin or TFPI is the concept of rebalancing coagulation. This concept was articulated earlier in the setting of liver disease. In that situation, levels of procoagulant and anticoagulant proteins are similarly reduced. When their relative levels remain balanced, overall thrombin generation remains near normal. In the field of hemophilia, it was recognized that inheritance of a prothrombotic mutation along with hemophilia resulted in a milder bleeding phenotype. Thus, the prothrombotic state rebalanced hemostasis in the setting of hemophilia. Fetusaran gives a dose-dependent reduction in antithrombin in dose escalation trials in hemophilia A and B. Antithrombin level was found to be inversely correlated with increased thrombin generation in laboratory assays. Monthly treatment reduced antithrombin by more than 75% from baseline and elevated thrombin generation to non-hemophilic levels. Patients previously receiving on-demand factor therapy had dramatic reductions in annualized bleeding rate during fetusaran prophylaxis with 48% of them being bleed-free during the study. However, one patient suffered fatal cerebral venous sinus thrombosis during the open-label extension of the phase two study. The patient was incorrectly diagnosed with subarachnoid hemorrhage and was treated with excessive factor eight concentrate. The trial was paused for the development of risk mitigation guidelines for breakthrough bleeding and then restarted a few months later. Clinical trials were again halted in 2020 due to three more thrombotic events, and refinement of target antithrombin levels was undertaken. Evaluation of all events suggested that the risk of thrombotic events is greater with antithrombin levels below 10% of normal. As a result, ongoing studies will target antithrombin levels of 15 to 35%. Concizumab and other anti-TFPI agents are not as far along in clinical trials. However, an anti-TFPI strategy also appears effective in enhancing thrombin generation and reducing annualized bleeding rate in hemophilia A and B patients, both with and without inhibitors. However, phase three trials were paused in 2020 following reports of two arterial and three venous non-fatal thrombotic events in three patients. All patients had thrombotic risk factors and had been using concomitant hemostatic agents. That trial was resumed following updates to concizumab dosing and development of guidelines for the concurrent use of hemostatic agents to manage breakthrough bleeding. The thrombotic events in trials of non-factor therapies only affected a small number of individuals. However, our inability to predict the occurrence of thrombotic events reminds us that some aspects of hemostasis remain poorly understood. The cascade model of coagulation considers only the procoagulants, but not the specific cell surfaces on which they are localized or their regulation by protease inhibitors. Consideration of these additional features in a cell-based model potentially facilitates understanding of how these novel agents act to improve hemostasis, as well as what can go wrong. 
The appropriate localization of the hemostatic response is maintained by antithrombin and TFPI, as well as the protein C system. Antithrombin and TFPI tend to confine factor 10A activity and therefore thrombin generation to the cell surface on which the factor 10A was formed. Specifically, tissue factor factor 7A provides factor 10A on tissue factor bearing cells to initiate hemostasis, while factor 9A8A provides factor 10A on activated platelets to support large scale thrombin generation. Not only the rate and amount of thrombin generated, but also where it is generated are critical to appropriate control of hemostasis. While the concept of rebalancing hemostasis in hemophilia is appealing, it is not very mechanistically specific. In fact, the extent of antithrombin knockdown and TFPI inhibition targeted in clinical trials was not predicted based on preclinical data but was determined empirically. Adjustments to those targets were then made in response to thrombotic events. A rationale has been put forward for the mechanism by which each of these targets could rebalance hemostasis. However, reality is rather more complex than the qualitative mechanisms proposed since each of these inhibitors has multiple targets. Antithrombin not only inactivates thrombin, but also factor 10A and to a lesser extent, factor 9A and other coagulation proteases. Anti-TFPI strategies have been proposed to act specifically by targeting initiation of coagulation. TFPI occurs as two isoforms, both of which inhibit tissue factor factor 7A and 10A. TFPI is also an avid inhibitor of factor 10A in solution. Thus it, along with antithrombin, prevents factor 10A activated by tissue factor factor 7A from diffusing through the fluid phase to platelet surfaces and substituting for factor 10A that would be normally provided by factor 9A8A. TFPI alpha also inhibits prothrombinase complexes that contain factor 10A activated or platelet derived factor 5A. Reducing the level of antithrombin or TFPI can, therefore, both allow more factor 10A activated by tissue factor factor 7A to reach the platelet surface and also enhance platelet surface thrombin generation. In synthetic plasma models, antithrombin and TFPI act synergistically to set a threshold for initiating the burst of thrombin generation necessary for coagulation. In addition, in the presence of platelets and plasma levels of both antithrombin and TFPI, prothrombin conversion to thrombin stops before all the prothrombin has been consumed. This suggests that reduction of antithrombin or TFPI levels could not only lower the threshold for initiation of coagulation, but could also increase platelet surface thrombin generation. This could indeed rebalance coagulation to a point that allows for normal hemostasis in hemophilia. However, a greater degree of antithrombin or TFPI reduction or a stronger procoagulant stimulus, as might be seen in therapies for breakthrough bleeding, might dramatically change the regulation of thrombin generation 
by removing the barrier to initiation of large-scale trauma generation and impairing normal localization. It is also possible that rebalancing hemostasis by manipulating the protease inhibitor levels might produce a more tenuous state of balance than the physiological state of a normal individual. This is certainly the case in liver disease in which affected individuals are rebalanced at lower levels of both pro and anticoagulants, but are readily tipped into a state of either bleeding or thrombosis. Thus, reducing antithrombin or TFPI activity is an effective strategy for reducing bleeding in either hemophilia A or B, but there is not yet a good means of determining the best antithrombin or TFPI level to target or how stable the rebalanced state might be to other hemostatic perturbations. In summary, a small number of thrombotic events have occurred during treatment with novel non-factor therapies. These events remind us that there is not currently a solid conceptual framework for predicting such events or understanding how to use the novel products in concert with other hemostatic agents, including factor replacement. You've been listening to Blood Advances Talks. Please visit bloodadvances.org for more audio reviews and for information on how to subscribe to the Blood Advances Talks podcast. A full transcript of this podcast can be found online. Music for Blood Advances Talks was performed by the Art Topolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Topolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.